Do you love what cake artists do? Well, just wait until you see what Jessica Lee Clark Bojan does with pies. She shares pie history and her techniques in her new book, Pies Are Awesome. She's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Jessica Lee Clark Bojan. She is also known as the Pious, and I think that's a wonderful name. And also, she is indisputably the Queen of Pie Art. She has written a new book. It's called Pies Are Awesome, and the book is awesome. And so we're so happy to have you here, Jessica. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Good. So I have to tell you that the historian in me was really, really required to go and look up all kinds of drawings of medieval and renaissance pies because after I saw even just the little tease of drawings of those pies that you have in your book I thought oh my god I've got to go and see this because we've all heard about four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie and all that sort of thing but it's hard to actually think of that as being real they really did literal (laughs) they did yes they were describing actual facts when they wrote that (laughs) so of course you don't tell us how to do that (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) not in this book right (laughs) um but the idea that people might be in the pies and that it was really that big of a pie that a person could fit in it um it's just amazing it's just amazing also what you have done is really amazing and so thank you for the book (laughs) i'm glad you like it So what was it that you really wanted to show people when you wrote this book? With Pies Are Awesome, I think my main goal was, um, well, two goals. One, I wanted to show people what is possible with pies, um, because a lot of people don't really think of them as a particularly artistic medium to begin with. We're used to thinking of cookies and cakes and even waffles and things like that as artistic, you know, vehicles for us, but pies have had for about the last 200 years or so, a pretty humble wrap to them. So I wanted to let people know that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and potential with pie dough and pie art. And I think the second thing that I wanted to really get across with this book was to let people know that it's a lot easier than they think it is. And not to be intimidated and that experimentation and even failure is part of the process and part of the fun. And at the end of the day, the whole purpose of pie art is to make people happy. And if you are making these little works of art, whether they're masterpieces that are gonna end up in a museum someday or they deserve to be on on Nailed It, it doesn't matter if it puts a smile on the face of your guests or, or yourself or the people that you're baking it with, then they've lived up to their purpose. 
So you also say in the book that you started with pies because you had decided not to eat sugar. Now, how is that connected to making pies? <laughs> so every now and then, I guess I should start by saying I love sugar a lot, <laughs> maybe too much. And periodically, I my diet would just get so bad that I'd go, okay, that's it. I'm doing a no sugar year next year. And it's really hard because aside from the physical addiction of you know, processed sugar, and you do go through very real withdrawals with it. There's sugar in everything around us. And you kind of, there, there's certain things like even once you've got past the cravings for sugar, you start to miss having structured desserts. Like everyone is eating cakes. Everyone's having cupcakes on their birthdays. Everyone's having popsicles in the summer and ice cream and things like that. And I wanted something that I could have. And I looked at the ingredients of I didn't want to get into processed or, or, you know, sort of fake sugars mm -hmm. um, because they tend to upset my stomach or I, I thought that thought they would be kind of cheating anyway, but I looked at the ingredient list of pies at this uh, sort of bakery by my house or kind of hippie food store. And they had a pie that didn't have any sweetener in it at all. It was just fruit and then the crust. And I'm like, well, I could do that. I, you know, I'm a smart, capable person. I can figure this out. So I, I figured that all I had to do was figure out how to make a pie crust and then throw some fruit in there. And as you can imagine, the initial pies were very dry because I didn't know you had to actually put any thickener or anything else <laughs> with the fruit in there. But I eventually figured that out. And, and it turned out really great. I just followed the instructions on the back of a packet of Crisco and it worked out really well. And my family liked eating it. Of course, they dumped a pile of sugar on the top of theirs. But, <laughs> but yeah, that really encouraged me to start experimenting more with, with pie crust and, and, and learn what was possible. And that sort of kept me afloat for that no sugar year. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that year, it had kind of morphed into an entire career for me, which is another story. So yeah, even after I no longer had to only eat pies, I, I kept up with it. So obviously you want your pie to taste good as well as be pretty or fun Absolutely. or whatever. So how do you balance that? If the pie doesn't taste good, if it doesn't feel good in your mouth, it's not a great pie. And, you know, when people talk about pie art or, or food art in general, it, th this is a challenge, like with, with the epic wedding cakes and things like that, these take days, sometimes weeks to make, and you've got this sponge that's sitting out exposed to air for a long time. And yes, you can freeze components of it, but you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be the best tasting thing at the end of the day. I really wanted to make sure that the work that I was producing was not only pretty to look at, but delicious tasting because otherwise, why not just make a sculpture out of clay? Why not just paint on a canvas if it's not going to be a palatable, you know, delightful food thing, then, then it's, you know, pick another medium. So one of the challenges that I started out with was figuring out how to extend the working time of pie dough without running into the challenges of that fat melting into the crust and making the dough tough. Mm -hmm. um, without dealing with overworking challenges. And a lot of the techniques that I developed and uncovered from the medieval bakers and also put in my book 
are around how to create artistic elements, visuals with pie dough quickly so that you are still respecting the fact that Pido wants to, you know, not, <laughs> Pido wants to be light and flaky and, you know, puff up and do its thing. But there are ways that you can make it, you know, bend to your will and still keep that light flaky mouthfeel and that delicious taste and texture. So part of that has got to be planning. Oh, yes. So I spend far more time before I roll out the dough than while I'm actually working with the dough. I literally game out in my mind, like some, some professional basketball player picturing the game. <laughs> I literally game out exactly all the steps that I'm going to go through. And I write down in my notebook, take the dough out of the fridge, unwrap the saran wrap on, you know, all the, all these steps, because so often I'm baking at like three in the morning, I have a young son and I can't really start until he's in bed. And, you know, I'm not always at my sharpest in, in the middle of the night. So having this sort of list of like, do this, do this, do this, it helps me um, avoid silly mistakes. Like, oh crap, I forgot to get this ingredient. I got to go find where that is. Or, oh crap, I forgot this tool. I got to go find where that is. And I always work mise en place, of course. Mm-hmm. Everything is out and exactly where I need it. I have a very specific way that I set things up. And I work with templates a lot. So rather than, I mean, I could freeform just cut things out and it would look fine, but it's far faster if you've got a paper template or uh, I'll make acetate templates if it's something I'm going to reuse over and over again. And I make my own stencils and things like that. So I'm constantly on the lookout for ways that I can improve my process and create tools that help me explore my creativity and do the work faster. Mm -hmm. And so then tell me now about your fillings. Obviously you can use sugar now. So (laughs) do you use ever the filling as a part of the structure of the pie or is the filling just something that you have to take into consideration in making the pie? One of the considerations that I always try to incorporate into my designs is that I want people to know that they are looking at a pie and that it is delicious. Mm -hmm. And not everyone does this and not everyone has to do this, but one of the ways that I do that, one of the ways that I create, I call them deliciousness cues. So I, I want them to look at the work that I've created and go, oh, that's pretty, but also that looks like something I want to eat. So I always show a piece of the crust unpainted and I always try to show some of the filling Mm -hmm. so that they kind of know what they're getting. And the filling then becomes part of the composition, the color of the filling, whatever, like sometimes I'll add a a brulee topping, make it sparkle with sanding sugar. Sometimes I need a flat white canvas. So I'll do some kind of like icebox pie or or cheesecake filling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm baking for a friend who has a particular favorite flavor that they want. And so I'll design everything around that first. Mm -hmm. And when it's a filling that I know is particularly juicy or is going to bubble up a lot, I will pre-bake the filling and then add it to the pie because I know that if I don't do that, it's going to either not have enough time to set properly or it's going to explode all over my design. So all of these little things I take into account, but I never sacrifice the taste or the texture of the filling. Do you also sort of pre-imagine how you can serve the pie? Um, Because some of the pies, 
especially things that, you know, are multiple layers. It seems that you have to be able to figure out how to take it apart so that you can serve it, or you're cutting into like the top of a tree or something on the pie. And that might just be not that not have filling. So it's not the part that you're going to want to serve to somebody because there's no filling in it. I call those things pie nachos. And what I I usually do is, and what we usually do when we're eating a pie scraper is the base will be a traditional pie of some sort. And then you've got some kind of armature, much like a wedding cake, usually a stainless steel spool or something on the inside that's supporting the layers above it. Once you've cut up the base, any sort of uh, three-dimensional standy-uppy pieces out of pastry I tend to paint the inside of them with either chocolate or jam or something that makes them into kind of little cookies on their own right. Mm -hmm. I want everything to actually be edible. I'll throw in the odd, you know, modeling chocolate element here or there, which, you know, probably don't want to eat, even though you technically could. But for the most part, everything should be part of the experience. Everything should be edible. So for example, the pie scraper tree that I made recently, the base pie was a Dutch apple pie that was pretty traditional. And then we had a modeling chocolate tree trunk with a canopy of um, pie dough leaves on top of it that were painted on the other side with milk chocolate. So we could just break off chunks of the tree canopy and eat them like cookies along with our slice of pie. So you can give somebody a slice of pie with a few extra leaves on it uh, yes. that uh, can embellish the plate. <laughs> exactly. And if, the, if for some reason I don't want to coat them in chocolate or jam, I want them just to be plain dough, then we just use them as, you know, nachos to dip into the to filling. Dip. Yes. Okay. All right. I, I get that. And I also see that you also use things like meringue. So there's that also. There's a whole host of edible adhesives that you can use with pie dough. You have to take into consideration the flavor profile you're creating. Obviously, you don't want to use, I'm not sure what, I mean, isomalt, for example, is not something that many people want to eat, Mm -hmm. but it is incredibly strong as an adhesive. So I would use that sparingly for some kind of really important structural component, Whereas I would use meringue as an adhesive for something that doesn't need to be anywhere near as robust mm-hmm. and, you know, it doesn't need to withstand an earthquake. <laughs> right, right. And it could be tasty at the same yes. time. Yes, exactly. So what about savory pies? So do you also use these special skills for um, making savory pies? Absolutely. My son loves baked mac and cheese pie. He's also a big broccoli fan, which is surprising for a nine-year-old. But I made a, uh, what was it? It was a, I think it had a Beatrix Potter inspired mouse and and a kind of pastry doily on the top. Mm -hmm. And that was a mac and cheese pie. And he loved that one. And that was an all butter crust. So that was a really nice savory pie we did. I, the reason why I was supposed to go to London in January was I was going to go on a tour of British pie shops. And I, I want to get into hot water crust pastry and really building because hot water crust pastry, you don't have to worry about the fat melting. It's supposed to melt. So right. your working time is, is much longer and it's a much sturdier dough. So you can build up with that. And I was going to go learn, you know, I had all these, these meetings lined up and I was so excited and 
going to learn all their secrets, but hopefully I can make it out in March and, and really start getting into savory pies and British pie style making soon. Yes, and I, I would love to see lots of hand pies. That would be really, really fun. That becomes more like the size of a cupcake, not this literal size of a cupcake, but the way a cupcake relates to cake, the hand pie can relate to the sort of round pie. <laughs> yes, uh, they're super fun to make and I really love making them. Ironically, on social media, they tend not to perform well because people don't know what they're looking at. When you make when you make a traditional circle pie, people go, "Well, that's a pie, and it's cool." But if you make like a, a little vase or something that's a beautiful, and they don't know that it's pastry, they're just, "Wow, oh. did your five year old make that clay pot?" <laughs> like it's edible, it's pastry. Uh, yes, because one of my complaints about cupcakes, which I know that's not what we're talking about, but they're beautiful with these fabulous icing whatever's on it but then I just want to scrape the icing off <laughs> and then just eat the cupcake with whatever little bit of icing is left on it because it's just too much you know and whereas I don't feel that way about pie the the dough isn't too much and so since that's what you are using in the main as the embellishment it seems that that would be really yeah. really good <laughs> I've, I've got some really cool ideas on how to spiff up the um, hand-thrown pork pies uh -huh. and i'm excited about getting into that space soon combining different types of dough like charcoal dough with uh, plain dough and creating interesting patterns together so hopefully fingers crossed that'll be coming soon in the next few months oh that sounds good i mean we have a tradition here in louisiana to have uh, crawfish pies and various meat pies also, but the crawfish pies are, um, I mean, they're really, uh, everybody eats them, but you know, they're just those little half circles that are uh, crimped along the end, you know, yeah. at the edge. And um, it, it, you can recognize them when you see them, but I could see if you had all these different crawfish pies, other kind of fish pies, like a, a shrimp pie or something, and then even little quiche pies and then meat pies. And they were all decorated in a different way so that you knew what you were eating. Yeah, know? medieval bakers used to do that quite frequently. They would make uh, little lobsters out of pastry that were stuffed with lobster or little fishes that were stuffed with that particular fish. One of my favorite medieval pies was this big elaborate, and I've got the wood cut somewhere. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you, but this big elaborate pastry sculpture of this peacock that was stuffed with peacock meat. <laughs> I don't know if peacock tastes great. I guess they kind of ate lots of different things back then. And it had this gorgeous elaborate tail that was made of a bunch of little pasties like the little hand pie uh -huh. empanada type things and it's just so I mean can you imagine for a wedding having that be your showpiece that would be unbelievable and then people just take a pie off the tail uh-huh uh-huh oh I love that I think that's a wonderful wonderful idea so I'm really interested in the layout of the book the book is beautiful, by the way. It really, really is. I mean, even the, the pages that are just about 
instructions <laughs> are just as pretty as the pictures of the pies. So I just think that you did a fabulous job of putting this book together. When you were putting the book together, how did you decide what it was that people needed to know? Was that based on things people have asked you about or questions that you've gotten? Or was it more, I'm taking you through the process I went through to learn? Yeah, I wanted to take as much frustration out of the process as possible. And I really wanted to make sure that people have fun with mm -hmm. pie art. And there's a lot of room for experimentation, and a lot of room for creativity, but there are just a few critical things that you need to know and you need to get right to avoid a massive amount of frustration. So uh, when I had been approached by the publisher initially, they wanted to do a project-based book that was, you know, let's get as many projects in there as possible and just talk about the techniques as we go with each project. But I uh, convinced them that we should focus more on the, this is what the whole thing is, this is how it works, because I don't think the average person would be familiar with the concept in general or even know that you can do this type of stuff with pie art mm -hmm. and then make the second half about now you've got, now you're armed with this knowledge. Let's talk about what you can do with it. I wanted to make it as fun and, and sort of, you know, interactive and lighthearted as possible. So it doesn't feel like, a, you know, you're going to, to chemistry school. <laughs> hopefully I did that, but it's a, a lot of people might not think off the top of their head, you know, I want to read a technique book for fun, but the idea is with each new technique you're being exposed to, you're actually opening a world of new artistic possibilities for yourself because people read these things and go, oh, I didn't know you could do that with pie dough or, oh, I didn't know you just had to do that one little thing and suddenly this problem would go away that I've been having all this time. So it's a, it's a process of uh, happy discoveries where they're like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Wow, I didn't know you could do that. And hopefully by the time they get through that section, they're really pumped and excited and feeling confident. Well, I think what you've what you've created does a number of things. First of all, it makes people feel that they have that they can master skills, which is something that sometimes you don't feel that way when you read a book. It's just like, oh, I just learned I will never be able to do this. Uh, and that's not the way your book makes people feel. But I also think that because you sort of give people the techniques and the skills in the beginning, then you see how, they're, how, they're, how they can be applied. It's, you still walk away having read the whole book and, and finished the book, feeling that then you can make your own applications and do things. It's not just project, project, project. I can just do what this project showed me. I have no skills to take to some other idea. Yeah. But the second thing that is, and I think this is equally as important, even if you have no artistic skills whatsoever, that is me, um, <laughs> and you're just going to make a regular old pie, you've learned so much about the dough and all the things that you've been doing wrong in making just regular dough that you're happier because you can still now make a better pie, even if it doesn't look as beautiful as your pies. <laughs> Sometimes pie dough, you know, does, it go, likes to go its own way and do weird and wacky things. But 
there's really only a couple of variables. And, and once people understand what it is that's affecting their work, it really takes a lot of the frustration, a lot of the mystery out. And you can go, wow, that happened because it was a really hot day that day. Or wow, that happened because I was on the top of the mountain in Colorado or <laughs> right. things like that. No, it's true because when you just follow a recipe without learning about it, then if it doesn't go right and you literally follow the recipe religiously, you're just frustrated because yeah. you don't know what you did wrong. Obviously you did something wrong, but you just have no way of figuring it out. And that to me was the greatest gift of your book. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite part of the book is the troubleshooting chapters because uh -huh. that's where I got in questions from all my followers on social media. And they told me all of the things that make them hate working with pie dough. And I was able to address all of those challenges for them in a very simple, like glossary kind of way. Like my dough is too sticky. My dough is too dry. My dough cracks when I roll it out. My, you know, this happens, this happens, this happens, or everything has gone wrong and, you know, give them ways to very easily fix the problem or, try something completely different that's going to be less frustrating for them. Mm -hmm. And I, I end with my sort of secret recipe for when absolutely everything has gone wrong. And that is making the pie parfait. Oh, <laughs> so, I love that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you, even when you drop the pie on the counter, and it gets destroyed. <laughs> you can always create these beautiful layered desserts that look gorgeous if you uh -huh. put them in like a, in a wine glass or something like that and whipped cream and a cherry on top. And right. <laughs> There's always a way out. I, I, I love that. Yes. And I thought, oh, yes, that's what I need to know. I see that right now. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember that part of it. So what what are you doing now? What are you working on? What new things besides the hot water dough that you're talking about? And what do you see in new challenges and new artistic ideas that you're going to be pursuing? There are a couple of new techniques that I'm working on right now. I don't know if they're going to work out. <laughs> That's part of the fun. But one of them that I have in mind, which I think will work out if it does and actually tastes good, is going to be a game changer in terms of what I can do with pie dough. So I'm excited about that one. And there's a number of projects that I'm working on with third parties that I'm under NDA for right now, but hopefully I'll be able to announce some of those in the spring or summer. I'm also working with a company on developing a line of pie tools that will make it easier for people to, as you said, if they aren't necessarily super confident in their own artistic abilities, but they want to be able to make pies like I do quickly and easily, they can use these relatively inexpensive tools to quickly do those types of things. So I found a, a nice company who's the quality of their work and their branding I, I really like. So that's in the hopper. And then aside from that, my focus is really on pie scraper design and continuing to push the envelope on the structure of pie and what I can do with it to really inspire people. I still have, you know, traditional pies that I post on my social media and I still host open pie collabs to encourage other people to bake and, and share their work with other people. And I'll give out prize packs for those and sign books and things like that. But yeah, my big focus is on, you know, what's next? What more can I do in this medium? And so are you trying to make taller pie scrapers? Are you trying to make bigger ones? What is uh, the- Taller, bigger, uh, better structural integrity 
better control over the shape of pies. There, uh, one of the first things that I tried to do when I first started experimenting with pie was treat it just like clay and create a little sculpture around some filling and stick it in the oven. And of course it all went <laughs> collapsed. But I've never quite let go of that vision. And I'm sure that I can figure out how to how to prevent that collapse. And, and some of the experiments with hot water pastry are, are in that vein. Uh-huh. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so do you find yourself continuing to go back to the to the past and looking at the structures that have been documented from the past? Absolutely. There is a book called, uh, I don't remember what it's called, it's German and it's long, but it's by a medieval chef or a Renaissance chef named Conrad Haggard. And he was an Austrian pastry chef to, who was it? king or prince or some some Austrian royalty at the time. He wrote this gorgeous book, all in old German, which I've used Google Translate on to figure out what he's talking about. And then you have to sort of get through the weird language of the of the day as well. But it's got tons of woodcut illustrations showing his process and how he created armatures for pies out of metal and wood and various other food safe components that that were also heat safe. So they had pies that had like piping and stuff in them that that could spew out wine and make little fountains and things like that. So I, I've only begun to scratch the surface of deconstructing or, or reverse engineering the medieval and Renaissance pie bakers work. And then you have to think about how the flour is different and other sorts of things, because it's not just exactly the same as well totally pies in the medieval era in particular they weren't really meant as food per se they were meant as storage like they were they're meant to help they they didn't have ziploc bags and and tupperware back then so Mm -hmm. if you're going on a journey or something like that you've got a sack and you've got your pies which are you know, pretty robust, sturdy things that had the food inside. Mm-hmm. And the the part of the dough, the the coffin, as they called it back then, that was in contact with the meat or whatever juices on the inside, that would be soft enough for you to actually eat. But the rest of it was largely inedible and that would get thrown to the dogs or beggars or people like that, that would soak it in water and gnaw on it and get some nutrition out of it. And, and that's similar to that kind of paste that would be used to say surround a fish or whatever, and then bake it. And then you don't really eat that at all. You yeah. throw that away, crack it open and, and get rid of it. So yeah, I could, I could see that that begins the idea of pie um, rather than being pie. <laughs> yeah, it's that's technically pie. edible. <laughs> Right, right. Technically edible, but not really good and probably yeah. hard as a rock. Oh, yeah, totally. You, you, could, you could give someone a concussion with that. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for talking to me about your new book, Pies Are Awesome, and talking to us about what your plans are for the future and all of that. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. 
For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.